0: Thanks for tuning in to episode one of Kinlo Talks Tech. In today's episode, this is what we're going to be talking about. Shedding some light on the Parker Solar Probe. NASA's inside lander's Mars Mole just isn't digging it anymore. Life next door? Could Venus really be home to an alien life form? What's happening? Taking the confusion out of the latest WhatsApp update. Are they high? A flying Formula One car? And rolling the dice, a brand new board game orientated YouTube channel has launched. All that, coming up now on Kinlo Talks Tech. So let's get started. The Parker Solar Probe is certainly well acquainted with the sun at this point. Having already made six close passes to the star that gives us the ability to be alive, on the 17th of January, the day that I wrote this segment, the probe will actually be making its seventh pass, coming within 8.5 million miles or 14 million kilometers of the sun's surface. This time, however, is a little bit different. The probe is actually going to be joined by dozens of other observatories that will all have their scopes trained on the sun at the very same time, which will actually give us views that we've never been able to get before, and hopefully help us solve some of the mysteries that surround this very bright star. One of the main spacecraft that's made its way to the party is the European Space Agency's, or the ESA's, brand new Solar Orbiter. Launched in 2020, the Solar Orbiter is the most complex scientific laboratory ever to be shot towards the sun. It's able to actually take images and observations of the sun closer than any other spacecraft that came before it. And it will combine these observations from the spacecraft's six remote sensing instruments and four sets of in-situ instruments, hopefully giving some answers to science's most profound questions about our sun. It will look to study the sun's 11-year magnetic activity cycle, the reasons behind the heating of its upper layers of atmosphere, the corona, to millions of degrees Celsius, how solar wind is generated and what drives it, What causes the solar wind to propel to hundreds of miles per second and how all of this affects our planet? While the Parker solar probe has its eyes on one side of the sun, the solar orbiter is actually going to be watching from the other side. Strangely, this sounds like it was entirely planned, when in fact the opposite is true. At the virtual meeting of American Geophysical Union on the tenth of December, Timothy Horbury of the Imperial College of London said This is partially luck. Nobody planned to have the Parker Solar Probe and the Solar Orbiter operating together, it just came out that way. He continued on to say, I think it's genuinely going to be a revolution. We're all incredibly lucky to be doing this at this moment in time. There's so much more to this than I could possibly do justice for in a single episode, so if you're interested in learning more, then you can do so by checking out the links on the podcast homepage or on our Discord information section. And moving on, NASA have given up on InSight lander's Mars Mall after two years of trying to dig into our planetary neighbour's surface. It was an ambitious mission from the start, sending a lander to Mars to study its deep internal structure by drilling into it. The mall itself was actually a revolutionary bit of kit, a heat probe designed to burrow 16 feet into the Martian soil and take temperature readings. Had it not have failed, then it would have likely revealed clues about how the planet formed and how it's changed over the last 4.6 billion years. Combining these would have helped scientists track down any water on Mars and potentially any life. The little mole ran into two main issues when trying to do its job. Firstly, the surface was covered in a rather unexpected thick soil. This, coupled with the fact that the lander's solar panels were accumulating more and more dust on the surface of them, meant that the robot was simply unable to generate enough power. Now, it seems like no other mission in NASA's foreseeable future has any plans to take internal temperature measurements of Mars. It was in February 2019 that the mole found itself bouncing in place on a foundation of firm soil called Duracrust. For the next two years, the team then spent huge amounts of time troubleshooting and sending new software to InSight in hopes that some new robotic arm maneuvers would assist the mole, while they anxiously waited for photos that might have showed any amount of progress. Sadly though, even after 500 hammer strokes in a single day, the top of the mall only managed to get two or three centimeters below the surface. The power issues actually arose from the landing spot where InSight sits. The open plains have no powerful gusts of winds, or cleaning events as they're called, meaning that InSight simply accumulated more and more of the red dust on its solar panels, causing serious issues with power generations. This, coupled with the fact that the flat plane near Mars' equator was undergoing a season change, which meant that it was getting much, much colder, thus requiring InSight to use more power just to stay functional. This caused the team to need to stand down from any instrument operations and go into a kind of survival mode until it got warmer on the Red Planet. Due to this, it meant that the last attempt made by the mole to dig into the Martian surface was actually the team's last chance of success. Although the mole's job has now been abandoned, it doesn't mean the end for InSight. Over the next two years, InSight will listen for any quakes on Mars and collect data on them using its seismometer. This will provide information about the planet's interior. Quake data has already revealed that the Martian crust is far more dry and broken up than scientists had first thought. Much more like the Moon than the Earth. If the mole had succeeded in its task and gotten to the 16 feet below the surface that it needed, It would have measured temperatures all the way down its hole, allowing scientists to calculate just how much heat is actually leaving Mars, in a metric called heat flow. It really is a shame to see the little mole be taken out of action, but, hopefully, we'll be getting some good data from InSight over the coming years. In September of 2020, the world woke up to almost every single news outlet running with nearly the same headline. That headline was along the lines of, Scientists could have just found life on Venus. Now, we should all know to take these headlines with a pinch of salt, because it's usually, well, always if I'm honest, something else entirely. The reason behind these headlines came from a report in Nature Astronomy that stated that the gas phosphine had actually been detected in the Venusian atmosphere. So much so, in fact, that something must actually be actively producing it. Examining the atmosphere in millimetre wavelengths of light showed that the clouds above Venus appeared to contain up to 20 parts per billion of phosphine. Now, the word if is a very important one when looking at reports like these, and if the discovery holds up, which new data suggests that it probably won't, it could be the first ever detection of extraterrestrial life. Because Venus is roughly the same mass and size of the Earth, from very far away it might actually look like it's habitable. However, from our close vantage point, we know that this is really, really not the case. Venus is a hellish landscape, scorching hot, suffering from sulfuric acid rain and crushing atmospheric pressures. However, in the sense of atmospheric pressure and temperature, Planetary scientist Sanjay Limaye of the University of Wisconsin-Madison actually said 50 kilometers above the surface of Venus, the conditions are not unlike what you'd find if you walked out of your front door right now. The reason that the detection of phosphine is important is due to the work of astrochemist Clara Souza-Silva from MIT, who suggested that phosphine could be a promising biosignature which is a chemical signature of life that can be detected in the atmospheres of other planets using either Earth or space-based telescopes. On our planet, phosphine is associated with microbes and industrial activity. That isn't to say, however, that phosphine is good for life. In fact, it's quite the opposite. For most life on Earth, phosphine is poisonous because it interferes with oxygen metabolism in a variety of ways. For anaerobic life, which don't use oxygen, phosphine actually isn't so bad. Anaerobic microbes live in a variety of places such as swamps, sewage dumps, and even the intestinal tracts of animals and people, and are the only known life forms on our planet that produce the molecule. Because of how science works, new data has actually led scientists involved to try and push the word if a lot more, due to the fact that the original claims of inexplicable amounts of phosphine being detected has been called into doubt. Planetary scientist Paul Byrne of North Carolina State University in Raleigh, who studies Venus but isn't actually involved with any of the phosphine papers, said that it's actually how science should work. He continued on to state that it's too early to say one way or the other what this detection actually means for Venus. Due to the complexities of this topic, I'm going to leave this here. I've provided links to the subject on the podcast homepage and on our Discord server, so those who want to investigate the topic more can do so. The mobile messaging service, WhatsApp, have tried to clear up the confusion surrounding their latest debacle, and the deadline for people to choose between accepting their updated terms and conditions, or losing access to the service, has been extended from the 8th of February to the 15th of May. The company was recently criticised for sending the notification that seemed to make the suggestion that there will be a change in the data it shares with Facebook, the parent company of WhatsApp. In a statement by WhatsApp, they said that there has been confusion around this message. However, since the announcement, other messaging services such as Telegram and Signal have seen a major increase in downloads by people seemingly running from WhatsApp. In a post on the WhatsApp blog, WhatsApp said that personal messages have always been encrypted and they will continue to remain private. It also added that the practice of sharing data with Facebook was not a new one and actually was not going to be expanded. They said the update includes new options for people who want to message a business on WhatsApp and provide further transparency about how they collect and use data. In an earlier FAQ post, WhatsApp also explained that the data it already shares with other Facebook companies includes your phone number and anything else you share during registration, information about your phone, such as make, model and phone company, your IP address, and any payments or financial transactions made over WhatsApp. It should be noted, however, that this does not apply in the UK or in Europe, where different privacy laws exist. It can often be said that F1 cars seem to fly around the track, but that's just always been something we said to signify that they're going really, really fast. However, a new prototype by a French startup company called Maca, or M-A-C-A, I'm not really sure which, which they have dubbed Carcopter, a name which I honestly think could use a little bit more imagination, is a hydrogen-powered flying vehicle which has been specifically designed for high-end racing, and honestly looks like something inspired by the old Wipeout games on the earlier PlayStation consoles. The CarCopter itself made its debut at the 2021 Consumer Electronics Show. It is said that the speed machine is vying to be the first manned flying hydrogen Formula One car, and is capable, in theory, of going up to 153 miles per hour. It should be mentioned, however, that this startup has actually got some good minds behind it. The designs come from the minds of two experts in aviation, one who is an ex-fighter pilot and another one who is a former executive at Airbus. They decided to create this racer in an effort to reduce the harmful carbon emissions produced by more traditional combustion engines on the F1 track. The prototype shown at CES was a small-scale model, measuring in at just over 8 feet and powered by six 35-kilowatt electric engines. The full-scale model, which is currently in development, will weigh in a little over half a tonne and will be around 16 feet long. It will also be fitted with hydrogen fuel cells and tanks that the designers say will give it a far greater range than traditional batteries would afford it. It will also come with semi-automatic piloting option for additional safety. The final model is expected to fly off the line at the end of 2021, and they currently plan to launch the helicopter onto F1 circuits sometime in 2023. I'm not sure about anybody else, but this whole thing sounds absolutely insane. I wouldn't personally have the courage to fly it. Saying that though, I will 100% be watching it if it ever happens, because like I said earlier, it really does sound like a real-life wipeout style aircraft, and as a huge fan of that game in the past, I'd like to see it come to life. Before I wrap up today's episode, I just wanted to take a moment to mention a friend's brand new YouTube project. Jesse, or Mouser for those who know him from DonationCoder.com, has recently launched his very own new channel, where he and a co-host, Greg, play and discuss cooperative board games. They only launched about two weeks ago, but already have 20 plus multi-hour videos online for you to enjoy. Jesse also recently did a live stream for the channel and plans to do a lot more in the future. I'd highly recommend checking them out and helping them out by subscribing or simply just watching a few of their videos. You can find their channel by searching for co-op for two, that's C-O-O-P for two, as in the word two, or finding the link to it on the description of this episode or on my Discord server, which is discord.io forward slash Kinlaw Talks Tech. Well, that's it for today's episode of Kinlaw Talks Tech. I'm really glad you could join us today and hope you enjoyed being here as much as I did. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about the podcast, why not join us on our Discord server at discord.io forward slash Talks Tech or on Facebook at the same Kinlaw Talks Tech. If you enjoyed today's episode and would like to support us, you can do so by simply sharing our podcast with a friend. You can also do it by going to www.kinlaw.rocks. Thanks again for joining us, and I hope to see you next time on Kinlaw Talks Tech.